years previous to the Emancipation Proclamation to the effect that the slave was to be permitted to buy himself by paying so much per year for his body, and while he was paying for himself, he would be permitted to labor where and for whom he pleased. Finding that he could secure better wages in Ohio, he went there. When freedom came, he was still in debt to his master some $300. Notwithstanding that the Emancipation Proclamation freed him from any obligation to his master, this black man walked to the greater portion of the distance back to where his old master lived in Virginia and placed the last dollar with interest in his hands. And talking to me about this, the man told me that he knew that he did not have to pay his debt, but he had given his word to his master, and his word had never been broken. He felt that he could not enjoy his freedom till he had fulfilled his promise. Hey, good morning, June. Hope you're doing well. So there's something to be said about keeping our promises. Now, many of us have probably had our trust violated this week, somehow and in some way, um, maybe in a really, really bad way or maybe just in a mild way, but we've probably all had our our, our trust issues challenged somehow this week. Um, but I want you to think about the trust that you put in God. Did he let you down at all this week? Did he violate your trust at all this week? Did he let you down? Did he mislead you? Um, did something happen where, where you felt neglected by God? Um, we struggle with those issues. We struggle with those issues a lot. Sometimes we feel like God lets us down. We're not given a fair shake. Something bad happens. You know, it's bad enough when, when people do that to us. And then sometimes we feel like God does that to us as well. So today as we study Joshua chapters 11 and 12, God wants you to, to see Him fulfilling His promises. God wants you to see Him fulfilling His promises. God walks that extra mile for us to fulfill his promises to us. Many times when we feel like God is letting us down, or we feel like God is breaching his trust with us, it's from some construct that we have somehow invented with him. Like somehow we deserve to get something from him, and then when we don't get it, it's all God's fault. And in fact, he never promised that anyway. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Last week in the message, I told you that I'd been praying for something, and God told me no. And I could have very easily felt like God had let me down, that I couldn't trust him, that he was unfaithful to his promises, that he wasn't somebody that was reliable, and that somehow I'd completely misplaced my trust with God as a result of having something not happen for me that I wanted to have happen. Now that thing, I didn't tell you what it was last week. So this week, I'm going to tell you what it was. So there was a couple weeks ago on a Tuesday night, um, and I at my work, I do the truck stock on Tuesday nights, and um, it's a lot of work. It's very manual intensive, and it's it's really hard work. That particular Tuesday night, we were expecting to get two trucks, because it was getting close to Thanksgiving time, and we were getting a lot of stuff in, and one truck we were suspecting was going to have our regular, you know, just the freight to put on the shelves. And the second truck was going to be just a lot of fluff stuff, like a lot of water. You know, you get in two pallets, four pallets of water, you're not putting four pallets of water on, you're going to put them all in the back room to sell, you know, throughout the day the next day. 
we're going to get on a lot of paper products. You know how everybody's just dying to get toilet paper, so we stocked up on toilet paper. Well, we're not putting all that on the shelf right away, so we're just getting that to store it. And that's what we were expecting on the second truck, was all this paper, all this water that we were just going to be storing. Well, I was praying, I don't know if this is good or bad, but I was praying that the Lord would send that second truck with the paper and water that Tuesday night so that we could just put it in and go home and be done with it. And guess what the Lord did? You'll never guess what he did. It's not, it's not what he did. He sent me all the freight that we had to do, and it was like... Oh, Lord, why did you send me all this freight? You could have easily sent me this paper and this water. How dare you let me down? How dare you allow this to, to, to happen like this? How can I trust you with anything? You won't even send me the freight that I want tonight. Did God let me down? Did God break a promise to me? God didn't break any promises to me. That never happened. He never promised to just send me the easy truck that night. I will not find in this Bible where it says that he's going to send me that easy truck. He said he'd be with me. He said he would take care of me. He said he'd uh, do all kinds of things for me. He'd give me the strength that I need. you know. And you know what? You know what I got that night? I got the strength that I needed to get through that. Uh, so what promises is God breaking here exactly when we say that he's unreliable or untrustworthy? Is it these false promises that we've made up in our head of something that we think he has to do for us? Or is he actually breaking legit promises that he's made to us in his word? If you can figure that out, you'll know whether or not you can trust God. And as we go through Joshua chapter 11 and 12, we're going to see how God fulfills his promises. Now, he'd made a lot of very specific promises to Joshua, to Moses, as it relates to taking the land. He's made promises to Abraham about taking this land, getting this land, acquiring this land. And all these Canaanites, these different kings, these different villages have sprouted up in the land. And now Joshua's on the scene to clean them out, to bring peace to this land so that the Israelites would have it and have rest in this land. And God told him that he was going to be the man for the job. He started with Abraham by giving him that promise. He gave it to Moses. Moses did a little bit of work. And then Joshua was going to just do a lot more. Did God keep that promise with Joshua? Now, as we've been reading in Joshua, so far so good. We've gone through the southern campaign, and we saw that last week where Joshua swept through that southern campaign, cleaned up all those kings, defeated, remember those that five-king coalition? Joshua had the commanders step on the, on the necks of those kings, and he executed them, and uh, he was able to subdue the southern territory. Today we're going to be turning our attention to the northern territory, and Joshua is going to face his next round of difficulties in this northern territory, and God is going to demonstrate how he's going to fulfill his promises to Joshua, to the children of Israel, as we go through these next two chapters. So let's read the first 15 verses. This is a promise of control that God has given to Joshua. These first 15 verses, let's read them together. And it came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazor, heard these things, that he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, to the king of Shimron, to the king of Akshaphath, or whatever that is, and to the kings who were from the north in the mountains, in the plains south of Chinneroth, in the lowlands, and in the heights of Dor to the west, to the Canaanites in the east, and in the west the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perzite, the Jebusite, the Mosquitoites in the mountains, and the Hivites below Hermon in the lands of Mitzpah. So they went out, and all their armies, and, and they all got together. Let's drop down to verse 5. And when all these kings had met together, they came 
and camped together at the waters of Mermon to fight against Israel. So Joshua's got another coalition of kings that have come up against him to somehow distract him, defeat him, uh, persuade him, to, to kill him, to do something against him, to stop him. But the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses, burn their chariots with fire. This is a very specific promise that God had made to Joshua here at the outset of this conflict with this new northern coalition of kings. Is God going to keep his promise to Joshua? Is he really going to deliver them slain 24 hours from now so that Joshua can hamstring these horses and defeat their chariots with fire? So Joshua and all the people of war came with him against them suddenly by the waters of Mermon, and they attacked them. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, who defeated them and chased them to greater Sidon, to the brook of Mitzpah, to the valley of Mitzpah eastward, and they attacked them until none of them were remaining. So Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. Joshua turned back at the time and took Hazor and struck its king with the sword, for Hazor was formerly head of all those kingdoms. So God did for Joshua exactly as he said was going to have happen. The Lord had delivered these kings slain before Israel. And then Joshua was able to hamstring these horses, to burn their chariots with fire. And you may wonder, why is he doing these things? Well, because Joshua wasn't supposed to be trusting in these weapons, gears, and technology of war. God, uh, Joshua was supposed to be trusting in the Lord for his strength, his salvation, his deliverance, his guidance, for everything that he needed, for everything. Whether it was for war or whatever, he was supposed to be depending upon God for victory, not these horses, not these chariots. So the Lord says, we don't even need them because all you need is me. So just get rid of them. Hamstring the horses. And if you hamstring the horses, you're not killing them. You're just not allowing them to be useful in war. So if you just let the horses go and some other company or kingdom or somebody else got these horses, they could be used against them. But if he hamstrings them, then they're not effective against Joshua anymore. But he left them alive. So Joshua turned back at the time, took Hazor, struck its king with the sword. For Hazor was formerly the head of all these kingdoms, and they struck all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them, and there was none left breathing. And then he burned Hazor with fire. So all the cities of the kings and their and all their kings Joshua took and struck with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. So when Joshua comes into these lands, according to Deuteronomy, according to the law of Moses, when Joshua comes into these lands, if he has to fight them, then he's going to kill them. And that's just the way it is. And so Joshua did exactly what he was supposed to do. Notice how obedient Joshua is being with all of these things. Joshua could have very easily said to the Lord, you know, we got these horses, and horses are kind of useful. We could use them in our fields. Nobody says we have to use these horses for war. We could use them in our fields. We could use them for getting water. We could use them for all kinds of different things. We'd use them for travel. We could bring stuff from far off. We could deliver stuff with these horses. Lord, we're not going to use them for war, so why hamstring them? Notice Joshua doesn't argue. He doesn't complain. He doesn't offer alternate advice. 
He doesn't question the authority of the Lord. He's very, very obedient here to do exactly what the Lord wants him to do. And he continues his obedience by killing all of these people as is prescribed in the law of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. He burns all the cities. He, for all the cities that stood, Israel burned none of them except Hazor only, which Joshua burned. We're getting rid of this big one. All the spoil of these cities and the livestock the children of Israel took as booty for themselves, but they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them and they left none breathing. As the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, so, Mo so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone that all the Lord had commanded Moses. So God had been very faithful in his promise to Joshua to subdue these kings and to bring about this victory. God did exactly what he said he was going to do, when he said he was going to do it, how he said he was going to do it, where he said he was going to do it. He was very awesome in fulfilling his promise. As we get to verse 16, we see this promise of conditioning. There's a promise of conditioning. Not only does God promise control over these lands, but God is also going to be promising conditioning. Let's see what this is all about, starting in verse 16. Thus Joshua took all the land, the mountain country, all the south, all the land of Goshen, the lowland, and the Jordan plain, the mountains of Israel, and its lowland from Mount Halak, and the ascent to Seir, even as far as Baal, Gad, and the valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon. He captured all their kings and struck them down and killed them. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon, and all the others they took in battle. Hey, Nora, good morning. Thanks for joining us as we're studying Joshua chapter 11 and 12 here. Verse 20, For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts, that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might utterly destroy them, and that they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them as the Lord had commanded Moses. So the Lord had made these commands to Moses that these things were going to happen. And the Lord brought about the hardness of the heart of these kings and these people, so that when Joshua came to begin this conflict with them, that their hearts would be hardened so that they would want to do battle with Israel. And that the Lord would be able to bring the victory to Israel. Notice who's in control of all these things in verse 20. It was of the Lord to harden their hearts. The Lord had decided that he was going to harden their hearts. Did he fulfill that promise? Yes, he did. He decided that he was going to harden their hearts and he did that they should come to utterly battle against Israel, and that he might utterly destroy them, and that they might receive no mercy, that he might destroy them, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Notice no credit is given to Joshua for the victory here. No credit whatsoever is given to Joshua for the southern conquest, the northern conquest, the, 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 the killing of these kings, uh, the preparation for the battle. No credit is given to Joshua whatsoever. All credit, honor, and glory is given rightly to the Lord for keeping his promise and doing exactly what he said he was going to do all the way back to Moses, to Abraham, all the way back into Genesis. And at that time, Joshua came and cut off the um, Anakim from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debir, 
from Anab, from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel, Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. None of Anakim was left in the land of the children of Israel, and they remained only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. So Joshua took the whole land according to all the Lord had said to Moses, and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. The Lord was faithful in fulfilling his promise, not only to Abraham, not only to Moses, but also to Joshua. Our God keeps his promises from generation to generation, no matter how bad or wicked or whatever happens. The Lord fulfills his promises. He keeps do exactly what he said he's going to do. He provided the victory to Joshua. He is alone the one who should receive all the credit for everything that's going on. He brought them the victory. This promise of conditioning that the Lord said that he was going to bring about to bring this victory, he did. No problems, no questions asked. What a fantastic promise the Lord kept for Joshua and the children of Israel. Now Joshua's got another big job here. Now he's going to have to divide this land out according to the tribes, according to the division of the tribes that was already set forth before in the law. So this is going to be a big task for him. We've got to get through chapter 12 first. And in our next study, you know, in two weeks from now, because remember next week's a Christmas message. In two weeks when we start Joshua chapter 13, we're going to begin to see the division of those lands to the tribes of Israel. And then it says, and then there was rest from war. This is idea of rest is something that God continually brings up in the scripture, this idea of rest. He's trying to always bring rest to us as people. We're always striving. We're always under conflict. We're always sinning. We're always doing things wrong. I suspect that every one of us has had some kind of unrest at some point this week, whether it's with our spouse, we had some sort of fight with our spouse. Maybe it's with your kids and you have some sort of fight, conflict, or unrest with your kids. Maybe there's something at work. Maybe there's something that happened with your house and you're like, oh man, how am I going to do this? I had to get a cap fixed on a vent on the roof of my house one day a couple weeks ago. And it was like, oh man, how am I going to do this now? There's always some sort of unrest, unsettling in our, in our souls. And God is always wanting to bring rest to us as his people. Book of Hebrews talks about it. We're seeing the idea of rest here. But thankfully, in spite of our sins, in spite of all the garbage that we bring to the table and our baggage that we have as people, Jesus so generously offers to us rest. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you ever are looking for rest in your life, Look no further than Jesus. He is the one that can give you true and genuine rest. There's so much of our life that goes into sin, the consequences of sin, dealing with sin. Sometimes we lie to cover up our sin, and that just brings in more sin. And we just struggle and strive and fight and have conflicts and there's certain envies and, and covetousness and that snowball just rolls and rolls and rolls and we simply cannot find rest. We've got to repent of those sins, guys. We've got to forsake the garbage in our lives. 
the sin that so easily ensnares us and brings us down. And we have to look to Jesus for our rest. There's nothing you can do in and of yourself that's going to bring you rest. Sure, I can maybe fix the vent on my roof. Okay, that's great. But there's always something. Guys, there's always something that's going to happen. But only when I find my rest in Jesus am I truly, actually, genuinely, truly going to really seriously have and find genuine rest. And if you've never found that rest, then you've never really accepted Jesus. So let your let today be the day when you repent of your sins and you accept Jesus as your Savior and you find that rest. Let's move on. As we see God fulfilling His promises, those first 15 verses, we had the promise of control, and He did bring those northern kings under control for Joshua so that there would be victory. And then in verses 16 through 23, we saw the promise of conditioning, and God had conditioned the hearts of these guys, these kings, the people in this land, so that they would want to have war and conflict with Joshua, so that that God could bring victory for Joshua and the children of Israel. And finally, in chapter 12, all of chapter 12, there's a promise of conquest. There's a promise of conquest. You know, these first six verses of chapter 12 tell us about the victories that Moses had. And then verses 7 through 24, the kings conquered by Joshua. It's just a summary. It summarizes the victories that Moses had. It summarizes the victories that Joshua had. And if God wouldn't have been with either of these men, I suspect there wouldn't have been hardly any of these victories. Maybe some. I mean, everybody always has a puncher's chance, I guess. But God was fulfilling his promise of this land to these people during these times, and he fulfilled that promise. He allowed Moses and Joshua to have victory in this land because he is a God who fulfills his promises. And he never disappoints. He never lets down. He never wavers or changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when he promises something, you take it to the bank. You count on it. He promised these guys victory. He promised these guys land. And guess what they got? They got victory. They got this land. God fulfilled his promise to these people. Now, as we think about the promises of God, what are the promises that he's made us? It's really easy to see these promises that he's made to Joshua. Oh yeah, I'm going to give you victory in the land. I'm going to, and he's made these promises in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7 to Abraham. Uh, verse chapter 13 and verse 15 of Genesis. Uh, Genesis 15, 18 uh, with the Abrahamic covenant. We can find these promises over and over again. He's told Joshua different things. He's told Moses if it's really easy as we look through the Old Testament to see how has God made promises to these guys and how has he fulfilled them. What promises has he made to us? What promises is he willing to put his name on the line to fulfill for us? Well, one that comes to mind really quickly in the spirit and season of Christmas was the promise of a Redeemer promise of a Messiah. There would be coming a, a Messiah who would pay for the sins of mankind. Did that happen? It sure did. It happened in the person of Jesus Christ, who came to this earth about 2,000 years ago, was born of a virgin, Mary and Joseph. And he lived 
about 30 years or so, about 33 years, and suffered and died for us because he loves us. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Promise made, promise kept. Jesus told us that if we look to him for rest, we will find it. Promise made and promise kept. He's told us that he's going to go and prepare a place for us. It's a promise made and a promise kept. He's going to return back for us. It's a promise made and a promise kept. He said he's going to come back again. I don't know if he's kept that one yet. He said that he's going to return to earth. We're going to see him in all of his glory. We have all this from Revelation. It hasn't happened yet. Is he going to do it? Is he going to fulfill that promise? It's a promise made. Is that a promise kept? Is it something you're looking forward to in your life? The return of Jesus Christ could happen anytime. It could happen while I'm talking. It could happen this afternoon. It could happen tomorrow. We don't know when it's going to happen. But he promised that he's going to come back. And I believe it. I believe that he's going to come back in all of his glory. He's going to return for us one day. He's going to rapture his church. Do you believe that? It's a promise made. Has it been a promise kept? It will be. We call that faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. He has done so much for us. He's made us so many promises. And this week, as you read through your Bible, as you dust that thing off and you read your Bible this week, I want you to try to read through this thing. I want you to try to find the promises that He's made to you and to me. What kind of promises has He made to us? Whether they're fulfilled promises like the first coming of Jesus, or whether they're promises that haven't been kept yet, like the second coming of Christ. But I want you to try to look through the Bible and I want you to try to find these promises that he's made and see what kind of promises that you can find. And in next week's message, as we do a Christmas message last week, and we see that promise made and that promise kept, I want you to send me your promises that you found in the Bible and I'll share them with everybody before I start the message. And I'll say, so-and-so found this promise of God here in this verse. And so-and-so found this promise of God here in this verse. So send me the promises that you've found for us. And I'll share them next week. Remember that we do serve a God who does fulfill his promises. He's fulfilled them very plainly for Joshua here. And he does fulfill them just as plainly for us, especially in the first coming of Jesus Christ as we think about this Christmas season. And Jesus coming to the earth that first time 2,000 years ago, dying for us. Have a great day.